people. Amen. Amen. One of the things that I've enjoyed doing, I, I asked that question, uh, and I said I was, just a minute ago, I said I was looking for good news from uh, Trump and the docs and Asa and the doctor and so forth. But one of the things I've also done uh, over the last several Monday mornings is I have looked forward to a show. It's a, a 10, no, it's actually a 15 to 20 minute YouTube show put together by John Krasinski. And it's called Some Good News. And I'm sure se- several of you have probably seen it. Of course, I've linked to it on my Facebook page because it, it's it's worth the time, right? It's worth the time because it's just a simple few minutes of a uh, humor and feel-good moments uh, in the midst of, well, there are things that John himself has discovered. There are things that people have sent him and there are things from around the world that he has determined are actually good news. And he presents those in the midst of the bad news associated with the coronavirus, the things that have been going on over the last six or seven weeks. Um, it's a 15 to 20 minute break. Uh, it's lighthearted, um, but it's a break in the midst of, it's also, there are also some pretty significant stories as well, but it's a break in the midst of the, the bad news, right? It's, it's positive and heartwarming stuff that's in the midst of this 24-hour news cycle that we find ourselves in that's harping on statistics and stories and events that may actually may or may not be true, uh, but we know that they're negative, right? It's just Debbie Downer kind of stuff. And it's a welcome break from the politics that have been involved with all of this. It's a break from the virtue signaling that's that's been going on and is starting to ramp up. And I'm going to be honest that it's been an excellent, he has done an excellent job of both making me laugh and yes, at times cry uh, because of the stories, um, but they have been much needed releases on those Monday mornings that have been light and brief, but helpful nonetheless. Um, but despite those emotional releases, uh, those of you that <laughs> watched the daily devotion on Thursday, could tell that I had hit a wall. Uh, Many of you said I looked bad. Uh, Some of you said I sounded bad. Um, And that's okay because it was true. It was true. I I went back and watched, uh, but I I had hit a wall. And um, my looks and my voice kind of let everyone know that I I, I was lamenting the fact that we have not been together over six weeks, right? Um, But I was also lamenting just the circumstances themselves because they're affecting us not only from a church perspective but from a personal perspective. There are just a lot of things going on and having to make adjustments and so forth. And and I'm just, honestly, I'm not ready for any kind of new normal, whatever that is. I'm ready to get back to the old normal. Right? That's, that's what I'm looking for. But about midway through Thursday, um, I realized what I was doing. Right? I realized that I was looking for the good news in the wrong places. I, I had begun to concentrate on what wasn't possible rather than on what I already possessed. I had been caught up and was focused on what was out of my reach rather than focusing on what was already in my possession. And to get out of this corona funk, as I've called it, I didn't go back to watch the five episodes of of the Krasinski show. 
what I did was I began to read our passage tonight. And I read it, and I read it again, and I read it again, and I read it again. And as I reread, I it helped reorient me back to where I needed to be. Because to get out of the funk, I, I, I needed to hear more than just some good news. I needed to hear the good news. Because the good news is actually, as I've already mentioned, the best news you and I have ever received in our entire life. And it was perfect news for the original readers. It's perfect news for us in the midst of these circumstances. And it's perfect news. It'll be perfect news for us a year from now, two years from now, when we're not in the midst of this. It will always be perfect news. And the writer says this, he, he breaks this down, as I told you, the gospel is broken down into three things. He says, one, our eternal redemption has been secured. Two, our consciences have been purified. And three, our eternal inheritance has been received. Okay, Our eternal redemption has been secured, our consciences have been purified, and our eternal inheritance has been received. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in, okay? Well, Father, in these moments, please encourage us through your word. May we understand more fully what is ours in Christ, and may it restore our joy and provide us peace and sustain us in the midst of the day-to-day, not only presently, but in the future as well. We need some good news. The world needs some good news. Assure us of the good news of the gospel in these next few moments. In the name of Christ and for the sake of His church, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to do something a little bit different. I'll tell you that in just about 10 seconds. But the best news begins in verses 11 and 12, okay? Where the writer says, our eternal redemption has been secured. And what we're going to do differently is this. I want, hopefully you've got a Bible in front of you and somewhere in, in the room that you're in. I want to read these verses together. So at each point, we're all going to read these together. Uh, we're going to read first here from verses 11 and 12. Okay, so let's read those together. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Okay, so here it is in a nutshell, if you were to boil all that down. Our never-ending freedom, right, that, that eternal freedom from the spiritual bondage and imprisonment that we were in due to our sin has been, past tense, has been obtained by Jesus Christ who paid the debt that we owed and purchased our release by means of His own blood. If you look down at verse 22, the writer says that it's always been the case that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. But in these opening verses, he says that unlike Israel or those who are a part of the Old Testament church, Unlike those who were under the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Law, uh, unlike those who relied upon the Levitical priests and the sacrificial system, unlike those who were dependent upon the blood of bulls and goats and the perpetual sacrifices that took place on a daily and yearly basis in the tabernacle 
to atone for their sins and, and provide limited access to God, those, right, those who are a part of the new covenant church, those who are part of uh, and, and under the, the those who are part of the New Testament church and those who are under the new covenant rely upon Christ. Okay? We rely upon Christ who is the great high priest. We rely upon the fact that he has entered into the most holy place that is in heaven. We rely upon the fact that he has presented himself as a perfect sacrifice who has shed his own blood that was far superior to the blood of bulls and goats and rams. And he did so that we might be set free and not just have unlimited access that we talked about last week, but that, or that, not that we would have, uh, not so that we would have limited access like we talked about last week, but so that we would have unlimited access to God the Father. And not only is that freedom and that unlimited access available presently, and or not only is it available in the future, it is ours presently. It is something that we already have. It will be ours and available forever. And that freedom and that access is eternal. It has no end. So brothers and sisters, nothing, nothing, I don't believe anything can get us out of the corona funk faster than reorienting ourselves away from being temporarily sequestered due to our compliance to our state's stay-at-home recommendations or our social distancing guidelines, reorienting away from those things toward the redemption that has been secured for us in Christ. Right? Our quasi-isolation, and I say that because in reality we haven't been completely isolated, but our quasi-isolation does not in any way, shape or form, hinder nor negate our eternal redemption. Right? There aren't any regulations or guidelines that can take that away because those recommendations and guidelines are physical and temporary and they're instituted by a civil magistrate while our redemption is spiritual and eternal and has been secured for us by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the best news we could ever hear. right? Because it's, it's the gospel. We have an eternal redemption secured for us. Secondly, in verses 13 and 14, the best news continues. He says that, that our consciences have been purified. Let's read verses 13 and 14 together. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the... Act, did I jump in somewhere wrong? No. Okay. Oh, okay. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know, we often, right, and I can say me, but I think we all do, we all wrestle back and forth between what we know to be true regarding how gracious God has been to us and how He loves us despite our sin, and our and we wrestle between that and our tendency to fall back into our default position of believing that somehow His love for us is based upon our performance or our, our behavior. But because of our conscience that we all have, the conscience that we've been given, we, we also wrestle with what we believe about ourselves. We... 
we struggle with letting go of and, and between letting go of and hanging on to the guilt of our sin. We struggle with, in Paul's words, pursuing, or I'm sorry, putting off our old self and putting on our new selves. We struggle with living in light of the fact that, that our sin nature has been crucified with Christ and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. So we struggle in that. We struggle with maintaining the tension that exists between being in the world and not of the world. Between engaging and withdrawing, right? Because we know that that our, our culture is, um, well, we know and understand the evil nature of our culture and, and we don't want to be in contact with that which is evil. And so we go back and forth with that. But the writer has good news, right? It's, it's not just good news, it's the best news. Un, unlike those, again, unlike those under the old covenant who relied upon the Levitical priests and the sacrificial system, unlike those who were dependent upon the blood of bulls and goats and the perpetual sacrifices in the temple, we, well, they were relying upon those things and were only externally and ritually clean from the defilement caused by sin and their contact with the death. But unlike them, we who are part of the New Covenant, we who are part of the New Testament church and, and are under that New Covenant, we rely upon Christ. Right? We all rely upon Christ, again, who is our great high priest, who's entered into the most holy place of heaven. He presented himself as a perfect sacrifice. He shed his own blood. And that blood is not only far superior to, but much more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats. And so we have actually, by his blood, been cleansed internally. Right? It's not just something that was external. It was internal. Our consciences, those unlike those in the Old Covenant, those in the New Covenant, their consciences have been cleansed and purified because their sins have actually been forgiven. Right? They've been forgiven. They've been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. They've been forgotten. And the writer says that they are cleansed and purified to the, to the extent, and we have been cleansed and purified to the extent that not only can we worship and fellowship with God, but we're able to serve Him. And that's, that's true because of who we are in Christ. It's because of who we are in Christ. Our consciences have been purified. We are no longer under condemnation. Our guilt for our past, present, and future sins have all, has all been washed away. In the words of the old hymn, we've been washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Our garments are spotless and white as snow. And just as we just sang, it's, it's the precious flow of His blood that makes us white as snow. No other fount do we know. No other fount do we know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Christ enables us to glorify Him and to enjoy and glorify Him forever. We're able to not fear right, the world, but we're able to bring the light to bear within the world through the proclamation of the gospel and our living out of gratitude for the salvation that we have in Christ and that is ours, we can intercede on behalf of one another and our neighbor. We can be that kingdom of priests. We can be that royal priesthood that we've been called to be because Christ has cleansed us from our sin. That's great news. That's the best news that we could ever hear. Finally, in verses 15 to 22, the writer says, 
our eternal inheritance has been received. Let's let's read again. Let's uh, sorry for the last time. Uh, maybe I'll do a better job this time. But let's begin reading in verse fifteen and read down through verse twenty-two. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. A mediator is a go-between. It's someone who represents two parties and attempts to bring them together. Uh, And to help his readers, which includes us, to understand how Christ is our mediator, he continues to compare and contrast the Old and New Covenants. He's been doing that for a while now. The Old Covenant, from the very beginning, required obedience. The Old Covenant being the Mosaic Law. And it was up to the people to obey, and if they obeyed, they would experience life. And if they disobeyed, they would be condemned, or they would experience death. And at some point this week, you can go back and read passages like Deuteronomy 27, chapter 27, and chapter 28, as well as Joshua 28. But for now, our our Old Testament reading that we read in Exodus chapter 24 um, kind of puts all this in perspective for us, okay? The law was given to the people, and they responded, all this we will do. And Moses took the hyssop branch and, and... scattered the blood on, uh, sprinkled the blood on them to seal that covenant after they had said that they, they would do that. And from that point forward, the Old Testament is kind of this historical record of how they did in fulfilling uh, that promise. And we know uh, very shortly after that, that and, 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 uh, and forward, that they failed to do that. Right? They, they did not do what they said they would do. They did not do what they had promised to do. But this is where it gets really interesting. Because of the people, because they had not met the conditions of that covenant, they were deserving of condemnation and death, punishment and wrath. That was the deal. That was was the the covenant that had been made. So really, there wasn't anything to work out, right? Based upon that covenant. There was no need for a mediator as far as the old covenant was concerned. There was no need to bring the two parties together. The Lord laid out the conditions. The people uh, and, and the people did not meet those conditions. Even though they said they would. And things looked pretty cut and dry. But they weren't. And they weren't because God had made a prior covenant with Abraham. He had made a prior covenant that did not depend on the obedience of the people. Right? God had promised Abraham that he would establish a covenant with him 
and would bless him and his offspring after him. And it was an everlasting covenant. It came before the old or the Mosaic covenant. The old, it's referred to as the old covenant here. Uh, it, it came before. It came many years before. Right? And there were conditions. There were conditions. It was being an everlasting covenant. But there were conditions and obligations. We know about circumcision and we know about the, the exercising of faith. But in this covenant, God promised that the covenant would in fact be fulfilled. And he promised that he would be the one to fulfill it. There was no, if you do this, then I will do this section of this particular covenant. There was not a part of the covenant where Abraham said, all this I will do. In Genesis 15, we read that God alone walked through the animals that had been cut in half while Abraham slept. And by doing so, he said, if I don't do what I have promised... May I be the one cursed, and may what happened to these animals happen to me. And that, of course, brings us back now to the Mosaic Covenant, right? Because it was Abraham's descendants who were now facing the curse of disobedience. Which explains why a mediator was needed. A mediator was needed because if God followed through and cursed the people due to their disobedience and their breaking of the Mosaic Law... Abraham's offspring would have been cut off from salvation. They would have been cut off from salvation and he would have to experience the curse of the promise he had made to Abraham. So what we see is the ultimate purpose of the old covenant. The purpose of the old covenant and the law, which it was to point people to Christ. It's why Paul says, before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then... The law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Only the grace of God and the death of Christ, the mediator, who took on the curse of the law upon himself, is what allows sinners to be pardoned and not experience the curse of their sin and disobedience. His innocent and infinite life was given for the guilt of our eternal sin. And the writer goes on to say, that everyone who by faith has looked to Christ as their one and only mediator has received an eternal inheritance. Right? The, the promise that was made to Abraham is that an eternal inheritance that we now receive. He says, we can, we, in other words, we can view this new covenant as a um, last will and testament. Right? Christ having died and now having risen distributes, now as the executor of, of this will, he, he distributes all of the benefits of salvation that God promised to those who look to him in faith. And he distributes them by the Holy Spirit who applies those benefits of salvation to the beneficiaries of the promise that the Lord predestined for adoption prior to the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, we are counted among the number of those beneficiaries. Paul says we are heirs, right? We are Abraham's offspring, spiritual offspring, and have received the blessings of the promise God made to him because of what Jesus has done as our mediator. We've received forgiveness because he took on the curse of covenant disobedience. 
Right? We have received the blessing of life because his covenant obedience has been imputed to us. We have, in Paul's words, we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the spirit who has been given to us and lives within us is, is a guarantee of that inheritance. That inheritance now, Peter says, is being kept for us in heaven by God, but it's as if, because of the Spirit and, and His sealing of us, it's as if we already possess it. Eternal life is not just something we are anticipating, it's something that we have now. And why is that the best news? It's the best news because even in the face of a virus or, or because for many, this is, it's brought about the fear of death, but we know that death will not render this inheritance null and void. We have received our eternal inheritance. And as a matter of fact, Richard Phillips puts this this way. As great as our inheritance is in this life, it is far greater in death. Then we inherit Christ's resurrection life. We inherit a place in the new heavens and new earth. We inherit a home with God forever and ever. We inherit His perfect holiness. And so we rest today, not only in what is ours now, but what is ours to come. It's as we sang last week and as we studied the first few days of our daily devotion, right? Our one comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own. But in body and soul and in life and death, we belong to Jesus Christ who has fully paid for all of our sins through His precious blood. Let's... Brothers and sisters, let's not concentrate on what isn't possible physically or materially right now. Let's concentrate on what we already possess spiritually. Let's not focus on what is out of our reach, but physically and materially, but let's focus on what is already in our what we already possess, what's already in our possession spiritually. The best news is that we have been saved by grace through faith, in Christ alone. Our salvation is from Him. Uh, everything about it, from beginning to end, is from the Lord. And I, I pray, and, I, and I, I pray that I would put this out of my mind, but it's still in my mind. I pray that we get some good news tomorrow right, from our governor. And I pray that next Sunday, when Lord willing, that we're able to gather, that when we hear the words that this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins, that we will appreciate much more what is being sealed and confirmed upon our hearts, minds, and lives as we think about our eternal redemption that has been secured, our consciences that have been purified, and our eternal inheritance that has been received through Christ our great high priest. That's the best news we could have. And if you, for whoever is why, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, you may be watching tonight and you've just tuned in by accident. If you have not turned to Christ in faith, right, the promise, the promise is available, right? Turn to Christ in faith. Turn from your sin. Turn from your reliance upon yourself. Turn from your reliance upon anything in which you are trying to reconcile yourself to God and trying to work your way into a standing of being self-justified. Whatever it is, the offer, the promise is for those who turn to faith or turn to Christ in faith, you too can be saved. Today is the day of salvation. 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel, the good news.